will say that while at the time it was horrible, absolutely horrible, uh, because I had to think about what's going to happen with my people, you know, how are we going to survive? It was the best thing that ever happened. Hey there, friend. This is Stephanie Krevins, your host of the Mid-Level Leaders Hot Mess Hotline, where we have conversations with CEOs and entrepreneurs so you can learn to think like them with strategy, with focus, with an emphasis on innovation. And today we are talking with Leslie Murphy. She is the CEO of the Rayborn Group International. She has been a leader in the association management industry for more than 35 years, leading a variety of membership associations. I'm sure some of them that you've been a part of that are in the professional, educational, philanthropic, and emerging trade association sectors. She brings a wide variety of skill sets like strategic planning, visionary management, and increasing member value to the organizations that she serves. She has a proven track record of revitalizing associations and their boards across the world. The Rayborn Group International is headquartered here in Indianapolis. They're an accredited, award-winning association management and consulting and event planning firm. They were founded in 1988, and RGI specializes in helping nonprofit professional societies, trade associations, and other membership-based organizations thrive in this ever-changing world. And Leslie is at the helm of it. They have 60,000-plus members in 107 countries. So, y'all, she really knows what you're doing. And you're probably thinking, Stephanie, I get that she's the CEO of a membership association company, but how is nonprofit stuff maybe, how is it related to what I do in my for-profit company? Here's the secret. Here's what Leslie knows, and she has learned throughout her career that she's gonna share with you, is the reality is, is every job is a stakeholder management job. Every job is a people-based business job because people do business with people and they do business with people, ideally, that they know, like, and trust. Her go-to leadership style is check the box. Let's get it done. Let's work the process. We're going to get the results that we want to see. And as she has learned in her multiple decades in this industry is that it's not always about checking the box. And so for my leaders out there that think that you can be successful just because you're checking the box, you're getting the work done, you're working the plan and the plan is working. I'm here to tell you that's not all you need to know to be an effective leader. So let's dig into Leslie's story, her hot mess that starts with a verbal throat punch over the phone, and then we'll come out of it and see what she's learned and lessons you can take with you starting tomorrow. All right, Leslie, tell us about your hot mess. I sure can. I was um, a new executive director for a trade association. So made up of organizations, the companies are members. Okay. So okay. my first job as an exec, I'd been in association work for quite a while. And this group was in trouble. Um, I was called in um, by their CPA just to help them out for a little bit because board members were all over the world, actually. Mm. And they had a small staff here in Indianapolis. Mm. And I was called in and they had financial issues and they didn't even know what issues they had or didn't have. Anyway, so my very process oriented person mm-hmm. came in and I'm like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And uh, the president at the time was a lot like me. We could do three sentences, finish each other, you know, three points, finish each other's sentences. We yes. were good to go. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I thought, great. We're getting so much done. This is awesome. 
And then there was a day when the person who was secretary of the organization called me and she blew me up. I don't honestly, today, I even try to remember the words she used, mm. but I had never, ever, and probably almost still never have had a conversation with a volunteer that was that volatile and where I was just blown away. I just had no idea how to react. I had no idea what to say or what to do. Um, was she telling you everything you'd ever done wrong and, or what was it? I was, yeah, I was certainly the target at the time, but it was really okay. how she was being wronged by the organization, which okay. at that time had had one female president in its entire history. And that was 20 years before her. Oof, right? Okay. And so she's in a, at that time, we changed things later, but at that time, a very male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. She and I were exactly the same age. Um, her husband had died, um, was killed um, and young. So that threw under some things. So not trying to rationalize on, but I just, at that moment, I was shell-shocked. All I could say is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Oof. sorry. And and I didn't even, because it was just coming out of her. All of it, it's like a bad you know relationship where everything has ever happened is just gonna come out all at once. Yes. And that's what was happening. Yes. And so I got off the phone and I was just, you know, I was just crying because I had no idea what the heck happened, really, I truly, and what I was going to do, because I knew this was bad. And so I went home and, you know, know, unloaded to my husband and thought, and I said, I'm not going to get anywhere on the phone with her. Calling her the next day is, you know, I could try, you know, because that was some advice. Try, just see if she's let it all out at the next day. Is everything okay? So I tried that a little bit. But that night I realized I need to go see her. I need to get on a plane, my own money, and go see her. And mm. I did. And I did. And I called her. I said, hey, I want to go. Great. So um, I why, went. Like, help me yeah. understand. Like, why did you feel? I mean, because she just word vomited on you. Like, spewed this violent venom at you (laughs) and Leslie goes, let me come be with you. Like why, why did that feel so important in the moment? I knew I wasn't going to be able to fix it. Okay. If I didn't go. Okay. I didn't know a lot else because honestly at that time, and you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I, I didn't necessarily have all the tools in my tool belt I needed. Yes. For those conversations. But I just felt like there was no way, you know, this is, folks, I'm old. This was pre-video conferencing. Um, so I literally on the phone, I was not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And she was secretary. She was going to be president. She wasn't going away. Right. That okay. wasn't going to happen. So I flew to see her. Um, and she was like, no, no, you don't have to come. And I'm like, no, I really want to come. So I came and I will say, once again, didn't have all the tools in the tool belt. Don't even know if I would today, but certainly didn't then. And I really tried to have some conversations to get to know her better understand where she was coming from. And once again, it was a really little thing. I had come in and once again, not only financially were they in a mess, but just governance, association governance. Mm -hmm. So the secretary literally took the minutes for an international organization. And she's a woman in a male dominated organization. Right. And so I'm thinking, oh yeah, she's going to think that's awful. Why would you want to do that? That's, that is staff job. That's a step, right? You shouldn't be doing that. Well, she thought we were taking away her power Mm. because once again, 
I didn't know all of this, right? I didn't yes. have all this history and know all this history because I hadn't taken the time to figure it out. We'll talk about that. So I went and, you know, we hung out and I, I went to some of her locations uh, where she, I went to her offices, we hung out, but I also, you know, it was a little bit of a passive aggressive conversation. So okay. she wasn't telling me all of this necessarily. Um, and so we get done and I say, Nancy, are we okay? Yeah, we're fine. Always glad I went. We weren't very fine. And so through that whole year or probably 18 months, now good news, I then saw her again at, at, at industry events, things like that. And, and it, it got better. It really didn't get to be better until she was president and after that. And then I was always the person she called if she had a question. We would see each other at events and you know, and, and have a good conversation, have a good, you know, laugh, have a, whatever, have a drink together, all good. Okay. But it was, um, you know, once again, I left and did I have resolution when I left Omaha? No, I didn't. I mm. really, and I, I didn't even know what resolution I didn't have. I just knew it wasn't settled. And a couple other things came up through that time. And I really, you know, I tried uh, more because I'm a process person, especially back then. Right. Yes. Good, strong manager, not necessarily a good, strong leader, not good at EI, right? EQ, I'm an ESTJ for the uh, Myers-Briggs people. I'm, <laughs> I'm an EI for the DISC people. I'm a high A for the predictive index people. So that just wasn't, that relationship piece was not my strength. Mm-hmm. And we literally did. We had another situation, you know, maybe about a year, year and a half later, I can't remember the exact timing, uh, where she basically had all the board together without me. And then it really was about me. Oh, it was about me before, but it was, you know, once again, it was more about that history, but it was about me. And like I said, before that had been that fixer, I had come in, you know, three, six years. I wasn't the long haul maintainer. Okay. Um, And this was my first exec job, but I'd been that, Hey, you got a problem. I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to fix it. And I had with that organization. I mean, flipped around their finances like crazy, but that didn't mean enough to her. It, 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 for whatever, it just didn't. And so it was, um, it was very hard um, because um, I felt like I was under personal attack. I was working a lot of hours, so I didn't feel mm-hmm. valued. Uh-huh. And I felt almost like she did probably. I was their first female exec at all. It had very much been an old boys club before either one of us came into the organization, a very, even, even, you know, a small group of men even ran certain key things within the organization and kept their little click that way. I always felt like she was treating me the way she was feeling. Yes. Um, And that, you know, so I, I, yeah, I, I probably still today would take it very personally. And I did what I realized was the good thing was that president who was like me and I could get a lot done. The mm-hmm. bad thing was there could be nobody behind us and we wouldn't even notice. Yes. Yes. We wouldn't even notice. And she was the, you know, she was going to throw up that flag pretty hard, but it was that I have to build relationships with every single board member. I've got to have a personal, I've got to understand their history because I walked in and just went to fix and you've got to understand people's history. You don't have to use it as an anchor but you've got to understand it to help them move forward collectively. Mm. And I didn't get that at the time. 
right? Yes. I was trying to check off my list, fix the things I could fix. President and I were in lockstep. We're moving forward. I didn't understand. I needed to make sure everybody was staying together as we made that journey. Yes. Oh my gosh. So your hot mess reminds me of my early career experiences and how not to do change management too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, yeah. So my first job out of grad school, um, I worked for a regional nonprofit and Mm -hmm. I'd been brought in to implement some branding that I was told had already been decided on. And at one point I had a advisory council president, a very wealthy gentleman who was probably 40 years, my senior email me and tell me that I was ruining his organization. He had worked so hard to build. Mm, yeah. And I remember I just forwarded it to my boss. Mm. And I said, I'll let you handle that one. Like I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. Um, if you've been the boss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then where yeah. do you go? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, and, and that never got resolved and I didn't feel like it was my role. I was like, Honey, I earn thirty six thousand dollars a year, yeah. and I work twelve hour days. Like trying to pay nope. my student loan debt. Come on, you know. Yep, yep. I owe more than I make every year. I'm good. Like right. you can right. work on that one. Oh gosh, the difference between our task oriented styles and our relationally yes. oriented styles have created yes. so many issues in organizations. Because yes. I'm actually very relationally driven, but I sound like a task goal-oriented person because of my mm. DI style. <laughs> but I, so I'm curious. So you went out to fly to see this woman, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful show of like human connection. Nah, I was scared. Did you set, yeah. Did you set any intention for that conversation or were you just like, I'm going to show up and see if physical presence changes anything? Yeah. Like I said, I probably didn't, I didn't have all the tools in the tool belt. Maybe yeah. I might now about that. <laughs> so it really was. Hey, if I can get in front of her, if we can get together, eyeball to eyeball, and I can and I can show her that I care about her because I'm investing time in her, mm-hmm. that maybe something would be better. Yes, yes, yeah. And I mean, I never got the again, but it took a long time to gain her trust. Yes, it really took that. a long, long time to gain her trust. And I'm also curious about the element because I've experienced this in my career, the women who had to be women and people of color and women who are people of color had to be trailblazers for us in many ways that absolutely that we'll never quite understand. And it's a, well, Leslie, you have to, you have to feel what I had to feel in order to be where I'm, where I'm at. And I'm curious if you ever felt that. That's a great question. Yeah. I think we're horrible to each other. We are. Yeah. yeah we, I and I, yeah, I really try not to be then yeah. for the, the people who work for me, but I have, it was interesting because the first probably 11, 12 years of my career, I had only men or mm-hmm. only male boards. And because of the way I'm wired, that works for me. Yes. Call me, call me, call and see which one you got to pick, pick it, go. So I didn't understand the art of pre-sell. Right. I have an idea necessarily. Um, I, I had once worked in an organization uh, with all women, but they were still deans of universities. And it was just, you know, a different world that didn't teach me. That didn't help me early on necessarily. Mm. But yeah, I definitely did. I, I mean, honestly, still today, I'm president CEO of the company. Our staff knows who actually runs the company. People will look at my husband and ask the, him a different question. They ask me, do I work out of the home? Oh, oh yeah. 
And yes, I've been yes. doing this for 35 years. Not yes. only the company for, I've done the company for 12 years. I've been an, at an executive level for 25, more than 25. Yes. So I still get that deferral ever, sometimes, especially, you know, once again, you walk into an, an odd situation. And um, so, yeah, it still happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gender yeah. stereotypes. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> a whole other conversation. Um, and I, I'm hoping I'm hopeful, but yes, I, I haven't had that to a significant degree or, or that I felt it, you know, that I really like was, Ooh, it angered me or something. You know, only once did I actually have a woman who was a boss mm. and it was not a good situation. Just once again, what a great situation uh, for both of us. I realized Back in associations, it used to be fine. If you were an executive director, if you were a good, strong manager, it was okay. Mm. The convention went off, the newsletter went out, the, you know, the dues notices went out, that you were a good exec. Mm. Then we got to that place where you had to be a leader. You still had to get that other stuff done, make sure that got done. But you had yes. to be a leader as well and help lead your board and lead your volunteers and lead your staff. And I realized that luckily kind of around that same time that I needed to work on my leadership skills. Now you also have to be an entrepreneur. You have to have a little bit of an entrepreneurial mind because there are for-profit organizations out there eating your lunch and taking your non-dues revenue because they're taking your education, your programming, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're providing a certification, um, you know, a CE for, uh, for your organization things that people used to rely on you on. So you have to have that entrepreneurial spirit too. Mm. And so I'm, I guess I'm lucky in a sense that something like that happened to me early in my career. And I went, wait a second, I've got, I am, I'm always going to be that hard DI. I'm an ESTJ all day long, but I have to be able to figure out how to meet people where they are. I have to try. It's not my natural inclination. I will always yes. say when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, I have to remind myself more. I write, listen at the top of a notebook when I go into a board meeting. <laughs> I have to, I love uh, but, it. but and, I, and I still falter at it, but I learned that I have to try to meet everybody and learn about everybody on that board, not just the president. Mm. And when did you notice this shift in, what was demanded of your industry in terms of leadership? I would say whew, definitely in leadership. I, I noticed it probably somewhere in the 80s. Probably, you know, we had a recession, yes. pretty significant recession yes. uh, that we were coming out of. Things were good, but things were moving very quickly um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what was changing maybe for an industry. Uh, especially for trade associates, what was changing for them, uh, how that was different. Um, And also volunteers time, volunteers who used to, you know, have some of their staff even volunteer for more staff related time of activities. They didn't have that capacity anymore. Things that squeezed in, they just didn't have that capacity. Um, And so staff was being asked to do more and more and more. Mm. Um, So boards didn't have the time to, or sometimes maybe you didn't get the right level of person anymore because they were at a point where they had to be running their company or doing something very different. So getting board leadership uh, was was even a bit of a challenge than you know mid eighties or uh, for sure. Okay, then, yeah. yeah, certainly the the entrepreneur part. I mean, really, probably happened somewhere in the two thousands. It just just very different. Yeah. The rate of change in business grew exponentially yeah. after the dot-com right. busts. Yes. Right. Okay. Exactly. So then in the eighties, we've got 
baby boomers truly coming into corporate leadership as well as civic leadership, the age of the charismatic leader was dying down. The age of teams was building. I love that example because in the 80s, um, so many folks love to blame millennials for being collaborators and team, like team players. They were trained to be team players in the education system because business was saying the future of work is team playing. Right. And now we have team players in it's our where, 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 where all the MBA schools went to these, you know, the, this yes. clustered team kind yes. of uh, graduation projects, capstone projects. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Baby boomers always forget about that part when they complain about millennials. I don't know why, but the age of that charismatic leader, it was just no mm-hmm. longer enough and right. emotional intelligence and strategic thinking were vital to company success. And I will tell you, I, you know, EI was coming out and there was courses and there was this, I will tell you, I went, I don't get this, right? I don't understand. I don't understand why I need this. I really did. Hand to goodness, totally did it because, you know, that's back when I didn't even realize I did it, but all I read were, um, you know, nonfiction books. It was usually, how do you you know, you know, how to, what are the steps to, (laughs) right, right, right. Exactly. Cause I was still very process oriented in my head and I'd never been faced with that kind of, you know, why do I need this? Well then, you know, why do you need this? Yeah. And screaming um, at you. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I do think once again, this is where, you know, we talked just a minute about this. I'm sure you've dealt with this as well, where you say something and it's perceived differently than mm-hmm. if your male counterpart had said it. Oh, story of my life. Mm-hmm. Story of my life. Mm-hmm. Story of my life. Uh, for those who cannot see us, we are both short, pushy broads. And so <laughs> sometimes right. people misinterpret our directness. But you know, but I think so even more so trying to think about how we're messaging. And once again, this has been long work in progress for me. And I'm still mm-hmm. not good at it. My staff, would, if they saw this right now, would probably still be laughing a little bit, okay? Especially those who've known me a long time because I can still be very direct. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my SI male counterpart who goes in and plays good cop. Yes, so yeah. We're doing consultant work, yeah. Yep. And then so from a gender perspective, both of you are confusing the heck fire out of other people. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally yeah, get it. Right. What were other critical moments in your career where you kind of got the, the verbal punch in the face of, oh my gosh, my EQ is just not where it needs to be for the type of leader and position that I hold? Because huh. I've had several, so I've, I've got lots of stories, but I'd yeah, love to hear yours. I, uh, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I, I have as well. And once again, I work with volunteers. So, you know, I'm mm. in a people business. Uh, we don't build widgets, you know, it's, it's ideas and programs and execution to fulfill people's mission. And so it's a very people oriented business and volunteers who mistakenly people think you can't fire. But once again, and they're churning at a pretty good rate, especially at the board, maybe yes. a third of them are, or if, more, if not more are transitioning every year. So okay. that ever changing dynamic of the volunteer uh, and especially at a board level. For me, uh, probably another one was literally, we lost two of our largest clients in one year. Mm. And at the end of the day, both were more about, less about performance and more about people and politics. We'll say that while at the time it was horrible, absolutely horrible, uh, because I had to think about what's gonna happen with my people, You know, how are we gonna survive? It was the best thing that ever happened. 
in the sense that it made us do things and take real stock at ourselves in some things and vow to make it different. Yes. And that was, you know, and that was really great that we wouldn't have done it because we would have been too, I would have been too comfortable. I would have been too comfortable to make myself do something that I was going to have to be uncomfortable doing. Yes. Business development for me. Yeah. Yep. A lot of mid-level leaders are listening in. If they're not already, they need to be involved in their trade association to build their experience, to build their network. Yes. And can I say one thing about that? Yes. I never want to hear you say you're too busy to get out of your office. Oh, that is BS. Oh, yes. Yes. Because then, then you're going to come see me when you want a job. Uh huh. And I don't, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to necessarily talk to you because if you're not making the time, it's like self-care in a way, right? That may sound like, but no, if you're not feeding yourself new information, new ideas, new perspectives, instead of just what you know, in your four walls of your office, then you're not a good leader and you're not going to be. That's right. Yeah. Because the only thing you own in your career is your network. Like no one can take your people away from you and what you know, like nobody. Yes. You need a kitchen cabinet. You need it badly. Um, It'll change over the arc of your career and it should. Some may stay the same, but some may change depending on some skill sets that you need help and support with. The blind spots that I have, I need people who will take those blinders off of me and tell me what that really is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I have what I have in my career is because of the people in my life and the networks that I've built yes, ma'am. some intentionally, some on accident, but that's the yes. only reason I have what I have is Same because here. people are willing to do the work with me. Why are hidden gen- agendas so mm-hmm. destructive? If people can't feel that they can be their authentic self with each other, mm-hmm. there's no trust. Mm-hmm. And with no trust, there's really not change. There's really not progress because whether it be a team at work or a team at a board meeting, I'll use the team at the board meeting because we kind of started that. So if I get have a group of business owners who are competitors at a board table and we have to say, Hey, for the good of the industry, for the good of your association, you have to work together. If they're not willing to kind of take we talk about the hats and I literally have board members who do a great job of this. I'm going to put on my company hat for a minute and tell you why this is good for us. Then we're not good for us. And then I'm going to take off that hat. I'm going to put on my board hat and tell you why I think this is good or bad for the association. Yes. And the fact that they will do that is, is huge. Um, But if you can't trust each other, then you're not going to have real conversations either. Early in my career, I thought, My job as an exec was to make sure that all board meetings went smoothly and there was no real conflict. And there was, and then I went, that's stupid. No, (laughs) if we don't, if we don't have some conversation and some conflict in that room, positive conflict in that room and discussion, then wait till this goes out to the masses. And once again, we will not have discovered our blind spot about why this program service or initiative may or may not work. That's right. You're going to get crickets Um, and you're not going to know why. And it's because you didn't have conflict at the right place. Right. And they didn't make a real decision. They were rubber stamping something that I gave to them. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that happens in teams, internal, external boards, committees. I mean, the more that you, you value input over decision-making, the more you're going to have a watered down idea that's not going to resonate with anybody. It's right. just, and it's a tough balance. It's a tightrope, it right? Is, is that 
especially when you have different personalities in the room, right? Yes. How do you navigate uh, a little bit of moving things forward, yet having enough to conversation? And that's a real, that, I mean, that is really an art. And honestly, for many boards, um, certainly for staffs, this is a whole lot easier, but many boards, I've used Myers-Briggs or DISC or some other kind of assessment mm-hmm. with the whole board, especially if I felt, um, I had one board where people thought a board member was just a contrarian. Yes. And I didn't really think he was um, and that he just liked to talk. No, and I, I felt like different. But once we did, and we happened to do DISC at the time, did DISC, they understood why he was doing what he wanted. And it became kind of fun or Myers-Briggs. Oh, you're just being a P right now. You know, you're just, you know, and so it didn't, yeah. it took that um, kind of a, to so individual a language, right? Yeah. It could become much more fun or it became less um, combative is, uh, you know, cause then we'd say, I'm going to break you into small groups because once again, I need my eyes to be heard here. Mm-hmm. These are going to get hurt all day long, but my eyes need to get hurt. My introverts need to be heard. So we're going to yes. break into some small groups. We're going to survey ahead of time, or we're going to put out a, a bunch of information two weeks before the meeting. So those folks can think about it because the other ones just can sit there, read it, and make a decision, but yes. some people need to process differently. Yes. Right? And those people are going to bring up much more thorough issues than yes. folks like me who just make a decision on the fly. Oh, yes. yes that's why we need sure. each other. Love that self-awareness. That's so good. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to talk, we're going to come back and I want to get your perspective on what folks need to know about being in your shoes. Okay. All right. Sounds great. This season of the Hot Mess Hotline is brought to you by my Hot Mess Quiz. One of the common lessons that my clients learn during coaching is how to really evaluate a problem dissect it for clarity, and then take action on the tasks that really move the needle. The Hot Mess Quiz can bring you that focus too. As a leader, your work life is full of, well, work. But according to Pareto, 80% of that work isn't even impactful. If you need to create growth and change, you need to focus in on what truly matters and what will drive new results. Take the Hot Mess Quiz by clicking on the link below, which is stephaniecrevins.com forward slash Hot Mess Quiz. You know, just like this podcast promise, and this is in the real world too, what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? That's what you're going to get in this report. It's going to be tailored to your business hot mess to tell you exactly where to focus your efforts first, and then how to bring your team along to get the change that you need to create. Go to stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. Don't wait another minute to start becoming the pro troublemaker you've always wanted to be. Leslie, we've talked about your experiences over the years, you know, and, and what I'm, what I'm getting from your evolution as a leader is one you have, and I think this speaks to your success. This speaks to your success as a president um, and the success of your company is you have evolved with the times through your own self de- self-awareness, um, which I can tell you from experience, a lot of leaders don't, they hold on to, you know, what leadership meant three decades ago. They're still trying to live that out now, but you know, I'm, I'm really curious, what are you doing now to continue to evolve yourself and your leadership style and your, your EQ? I'm big on being a lifelong learner and it's kind of a, a kind of a core value here at our company as well, uh, because then we can bring the best 
to ourselves and to our clients, right? The newest, greatest thing. Yes. Things are, once again, I went back to, you know, if, if you're just staying in your office and, and say you're too busy to go to things and I watch people kind of as they get later in their career, as I am, and they quit coming to things. They quit thinking there's anything to learn and there's always something to learn. There just is yes. always something to yes. learn. And I agree certainly uh, about myself, uh, about how we lead and about who we are as a company. Uh, we're big on culture and this has been a real journey. I, I have a lot about journeys, not destinations. There's really yes. a destination. There's almost always a journey. And culture has been a, a, a you know, real journey for us. Not only my own individually, all of our culture, uh, you know, who we are. And um, so we use DISC as a company. Uh, everybody knows their DISC profile. We talk about it on a regular basis. We talk about how that affects communication with others. Mm. Um, you know, so if we're going into a tough conversation, we're going to look at that other person's DISC profile and say, okay, what should I be doing? Uh, what should I be, make sure I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, how I'm handling myself in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I try to do the same good, good news. I have some people who will be pretty honest with me and it doesn't have to be my husband. So good news for him. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Take you know, some got, of that burden off of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got the people who, you know, and I, and part of it's just putting myself out there, I think too, mm. um, in terms of going to things and, um, and learning more, not only about myself, but how, how I lead, what we do, how I can support people, uh, how we can support our clients. It's just, you know, to me, it's just, it's so who it's who I am, not what mm-hmm. I do anymore. Yes. Um, and I, I think maybe it was what I did earlier in my career. And I think now it's about who I am because I know we have to walk that talk because I don't have a lot of baby boomers here. Right. 75% yeah. are Z's, you know, millennials, X's. And so I, you know, they're looking for authentic leadership. Yes. Yeah. Leadership. That's, that's what they're looking for. If they don't see it, they're not going to stay. You know, you've been this, in essence, a CEO and executive director of associations. Mm-hmm. You have now grown your leadership to be the CEO of a company that manages associations and you're in this relationship business. And, and, you know, if we're being honest with ourselves, every business is a relationship business, right? There's so many lessons across so many industries here. Absolutely. What do you wish mid-level leaders knew about what it takes to be in your, your CEO seat? It probably goes back to that lesson I learned that day Mm. when I got that phone call Mm -hmm. of, because I see it in younger staff, it's that check the box person mm. versus really understanding that you have to be a whole person yes. and care about the other whole, you know, the other, the other person, because if you're just going to check the box, if you're just going to stay in your lane, if you're just going to go, this is all I'm going to do, that's fine, but own it and be happy with it. Yes. Own it and be happy with it. But if you don't want to do that, and I, I learned a lesson uh, really kind of mid-career as well. I used to think that, okay, then I have to work at the next biggest association, the next bigger group, and the next, you know, I had to do the, you know, I had to make sure I, I mostly work for national and international groups, but I had to keep doing that kind of thing. There was this very prescribed arc that I was supposed to take. Mm. Every time I planned something in my career, it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. Every time I said, yes, yeah, let me try that. Yes. To an opportunity 
it may not have worked out the way I, I mean, one, my expectations were different, yes. but I also walked in knowing I was going to learn something. However long I was there, whatever happened, I was going to learn something because that's the other thing, right? When you're in the middle of stuff, you don't know. At my point in the career, I can look back and go, okay, that's where I got this tool on my tool belt. This is where I got this tool on my tool belt. This is where I learned how to do this. This is where I learned how to do that. Because it's not typically all in one place. That's you're right. the cumulative of what you learn over the source of your career. Um, and I think that is, to me, I don't know how to be any other way, which is why when people say, when are you retired? I have no idea. Why would I do that? Why, you know, <laughs> that's like asking me to quit learning. And I, you know, there'll be something that I do, but, but I'm, you know, I, I think for me, it's that it's just that quest for more and not more, it's not more money. It's not more power. It's not more position for me. It's just more impact, maybe learning more, doing more, uh, getting a no whole other network. I've been in association work for a long time when I became president of a company. I got very different new networks that were amazing. Mm. Just amazing the things I learned from those networks because I was with business owners, either within my own industry or just business owners in yeah. a very different way. Cause I came from an association world. I knew how to kind of navigate some of those, those worlds, but not being a business owner. And so I knew I had to go out and join something out, you know, join something, join an association, join a group where I could learn that, I, you know, um, and that's been important to me. Yeah. That makes it. Yeah. You, you have let the journey shape you as much as you've been purposeful about a journey. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh absolutely. I love it. I love it. And probably last question. One, I'll probably say one other thing real quickly. Mm -hmm. I have a staff member who has always said this, and I have given this advice to other people. She says, I'm going to do the job I want. I'm not going to wait to get the job to do it. Mm. And it's that don't, you know, don't sit back and wait for people to just hand you things. Yes. Yes. Let, let them know you want it. Let them know what you can do. Take a chance and say, let me take that project. Let me learn this new thing that I, do, I don't know even what I'm going to do with it, but it's something I don't know how to do. Go do that. Yes. Yes. Oh, in initiative, proactivity. Oh, yes. those are skills that will change your life in my Absolutely. opinion. I love it. Agree. Last, last question. I'll let you go. Okay. What have you learned about the people that you lead through your own journey through leadership? I'm going to say this, that they are truly amazing. When I talk about our culture being a journey, not a destination, we really actively started working on our culture the day I fired two people because they didn't fit our culture, but I really hadn't defined what that was. Yes. And the people who've come on this journey through the whole journey of building culture, but come now, come for culture. I mean, you know, I'm not always going to be able to pay them the most. I'm going to be able to give them some opportunities. I'm going to be able to give them a good place to work where they feel good most time, most of the time about what they're doing, but that culture to me and each one of them represent that all of the time. And it, it's just, uh, you know, yeah, to me, it's just amazing to watch. Yes. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Well, thank you for creating it. Thank you for for paying attention when life handed you some really gross messages on the other end of the phone. All good. I've certainly yeah. admired your journey and considered a blessing to have you in my network. So thank you. Stephanie, thanks so much. It's always wonderful to be with you. So excited that you asked me. Oh, my pleasure. All right, my friend, give it up for Leslie sharing her words of wisdom 
from some really tough situations. I want to share with you my insights and I would love to hear yours wherever you're listening or watching in to this podcast episode. What are you taking away from Leslie's experiences that you can use too? And here are mine. Did you hear when she said she realized that for that board member, she was taking away her power? She didn't know it at the time. She didn't know it until she experienced kind of like the, the passive aggressive and the violent backlash, but that's what she was doing unintentionally. And so when you think about your change management initiatives or any kind of plan that you have in place, are you cognizant? Do you have the emotional intelligence to realize where are you shifting power from one person or one team to another? And where do you need to handle that with a little bit more grace, a little bit more influence skills. Also, do you know what role you wanna play in your career? Are you a maintainer? Are you a fixer? Are you a builder? Are you someone that carries a team through stability and that's your job? Do you know what role you play? And that's really important because part of the reason mid-level leaders get frustrated and feel stalled out in their career because they don't know if they're a fixer, if they're a builder, or they're a maintainer. Do you know which one you are? I'm a builder. I know that about myself. I want to hear what yours is wherever you're watching in. Also, did you hear about the trends in the evolution of leadership in our culture, as well as Leslie's style? Do you know if you're keeping up with the leadership style that those that you're leading are expecting? Because different generations expect very different things from us as leaders, and that's okay, right? Let's not blame other generations for being different than us. Let's ask what they need and let's evolve ourselves to give it where it feels authentic. If it's not authentic to you, don't do it because people can see through that BS, but give people what they need. And before you can give them what they need, you need to ask them what they need. But also at the same time, you need to share with them what you need as well. So that that relationship, that trust can be a two-way street. The lesson that this conversation brought home for me is the destructive nature of hidden agendas. When we don't speak up about a topic when everyone that needs to be in on that topic is in the room. We don't bring up the hard stuff and instead we let the meeting after the meeting rule what's really happening. You're stalling out change. You're creating passive aggressive behavior within your organization, within your team. Stop it. Like in the words of Bob Newhart, just stop it, right? We cannot let hidden agendas rule what's really happening in our companies, in our teams. It doesn't matter if it's a board, if it's volunteers, if it's staff, hidden agendas must be brought to light. I also loved her example about how she can bring to competitors together through a trade association and they can wear both the hat as being part of their business where there's competition with their fellow team members. Then they can put on the hat of cooperation and collaboration, right? They can see both perspectives. And if we're being honest with ourselves, the exact same thing is happening in our organizations where people feel competitive with their own colleagues because there's not a culture of one mission. So until you have a culture of one mission, you've got to get your people on board in terms of being able to see from their own perspective take off that perspective and see it from the perspective of that one mission. Friends, those are my takeaways from the conversation. Again, I want to hear yours wherever you're listening in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're the first to get the next episode out. Now, let's get off the internet. Let's be pro troublemakers that get real, impactful, life-changing work done. And I'll see you soon, my friend.